Welcome to Every Texan Talks, the legislative update hosted by Every Texan, where our policy experts and political insiders cut through the noise at the Texas legislative session, break down what's happening at the Capitol, and why Texans should care. Hello and welcome. I'm Marisa Bono, CEO at Every Texan, and today we're talking medics and healthcare access. So one of my favorite TV shows of all time is Golden Girls. It's a sitcom from the 80s about this group of single women living together in their golden years in Miami. And the best character in the best TV show of all time is this woman named Sophia Petrillo. Have you guys heard of? No. Okay. All right. I'm aging. I'm dating myself. So Sophia Petrillo was this feisty, older, um, Sicilian character and she would always start her stories about Italy with picture it Sicily 1922 so I'm going to start today's episode this way picture it Texas 2023 we have the worst uninsured rate in the nation over 4 million Texans don't have access to affordable health care rural hospitals are closing moms are dying preventable deaths We need a system where everyone can get the care that they need when they need it, and Medicaid expansion is the first step Texas leaders can take towards that future. It has broad bipartisan support. It would bring billions of federal dollars back to Texas. It would bring relief to Texans, yet this session, it didn't even get a hearing. It didn't get a hearing last session. Uh, It's not looking like it's gonna happen this year, although we always maintain hope. And we, we want to know, why is this happening? How the heck did we get here? And Ann Dunkelberg, our senior fellow on healthcare access, and Carla Martinez, our healthcare access policy analyst, are here to help us sort it out. Hi, guys. Thanks Hi. for being here. Hi. So, Ann, let's start with you. When we talk about medics or Medicaid expansion, what do we mean? Well, let's see if I can uh, not overdo this. Uh, or overdo it. Okay. Well, I don't, want to, you know, I don't want to get lost. So basically when the uh, Health Care Reform Act passed, it passed in 2010, also sometimes fondly or not fondly known as Obamacare, fondly by me. And when it passed, it was trying to, to make sure there was a range of options to make sure people at every income would have access to affordable and good quality comprehensive health care, health coverage, and so the assumption was that uh, in every single state in the country, everybody up to a number that's not going to mean much to both of us, uh, 138% of the federal poverty income level, so just above the poverty line, that everybody under that income would be able to get Medicaid, Mm -hmm. and then... So these are folks at the poverty line or below? At or below, and Uh it's actually a little bit above. Okay, a little above and below. But one of the things that they want to make sure is, you know, uh, that there wasn't some gap in between systems that people would fall through. So they actually created this new health insurance marketplace where 2.4 million Texans today are getting health insurance and most of them are getting big subsidies for it. But they set it up so that you had to be above the poverty line to get subsidies in the marketplace and everybody from 138% of poverty down should be able to get Medicaid and that way there was a nice overlap so that people wouldn't fall through again. What happened when the Supreme Court ruled in the summer of 2012 
wasn't, they actually didn't change a single word of the law. All they did was they said, if a state doesn't do the Medicaid expansion, the federal government can't punish them. And so- The, the state has to opt in. Yeah, the, the state has to opt in because there's no penalty for not opting mm. in. Uh, the penalty is only for the uninsured people who don't have any right. way to get coverage. So <laughs> unfortunately, good. that is where Texas is. So we have this crazy situation. And I, to this day, I believe that there are members of our legislature who totally don't understand this. But you literally have a situation where you could have, say, you know, uh, a low-income working family, two parents and two kids, Two families live right next door to each other. Both have two parents and two kids. And the family that's making a little bit less, mm -hmm. they may be the one where the parents have no coverage. Mm -hmm. Their next door neighbors who make a couple of thousand dollars a year more might be able to get coverage with zero premium or an extremely low premium in the Obamacare, the healthcare. The marketplace. Marketplace. Okay. Uh, but the parents in the other house, in the other family with the lower income, they don't have any coverage because they're below the poverty line, their kids can get Medicaid and CHIP, thank mm, goodness, mm. but there's nothing in Texas for the adults. So it's this terrible catch-22, and I have a million opinions about that, but I think one of them is that a lot of our elected officials really don't get, and maybe some of them don't wanna get, that there's a lot of people in Texas who work and have an income below the poverty line. It's like we right. want to believe that the only reason you're uninsured is because you're, you're lazy or you're not working. But that's or, not true. Right. The overwhelming majority of the families where the working parents people. are working sometimes people. multiple jobs. Yes, sometimes multiple yep. jobs, and so that's that's where we have it. We have this crazy catch twenty two where we have about one point five million out of we have a total of a little over five million uninsured. And of those, about 4.2 million are adults. So adults are the ones, because we have Medicaid and CHIP for our kids, our big problem with the uninsured is for our working age adults. So, so we have somewhere in the 1.4 to 1.5 million uninsured adults who are in the income range for Medicaid expansion. Uh, and that's a little more than a third of all of our uninsured adults. So it's a big deal. It's the one thing we can do. When you said it's the the you know the biggest thing that Texas can do, that's what we mean by that. Is there's nothing else we could do that would like overnight allow you know well over a million people who are uninsured today and don't have any options to opt in. Yeah. So this is this is really fascinating to me because when we're talking about you were talking about those families that live next door to each other and the difference of even a couple of thousand dollars could be the difference between having insurance in the marketplace and then not having an option at all because Texas hasn't opted in. That seems especially pertinent right now because the economy is so much in flux and um, folks are um, kind of in flux in and out of the marketplace right now because of layoffs and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, so this is, you know, being that close to the line, it seems like this is especially a time when Texans are sort of going in and out. Um, it has some crazy things that you wouldn't expect, like we're used to thinking that the lower and I mean the the higher income family is going to be the one that doesn't qualify. Oh. In this case, it's the lower income yeah. family. So we're treating higher income workers better than we're treating lower income workers. Oh. And another crazy thing in Texas would be, you know, we all know that the economy is really different in different parts of Texas. Right. I could be doing the same job as you, but if I work in San Benito, I'm not getting paid as much as you are to do the same job in Austin. So that means somebody doing exactly what I'm doing 
may fall below it's, that poverty line wow. if they've got a couple of kids and a spouse they're supporting. Wow. And so it's 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 sort of the definition of unfair. So we're we're talking about 1.4 million adults who would who would get access to affordable health care if Texas opted in. A majority, a vast majority of those adults are working people. They just live below the poverty line. They're they're not making living wages with their jobs. Um, why hasn't Texas opted in? I mean, we're we're in the minority in this, right? There's only some, what like 12 or 13 states who haven't opted in at this point. It's actually 11 at this point. 11, of course. Yeah. So we are. Uh, sorry about that. It's um, it's mostly the deep south, which you know is not a huge shock. There's a couple of western states as well, who are not in there. But basically, yeah, we're one of 11. There's 10 other states. South Dakota just crossed the line, and it looks like it might be some, happening in North Carolina. Yeah, this year. some movement. Yeah, they're working on it. In North, North Carolina is beating us to it. Yeah, come on, so you guys. In the South, in the Deep South, you have Arkansas and Louisiana that have gone over, and then I don't know where. I don't know whether Kentucky and Virginia. They're mm. kind of borderline mm. for the South, but but basically, uh, that's where we're seeing a lot of it. So Texas, Georgia, and Florida are the states with the biggest population and the most uninsured who haven't done it. And opting in would also bring billions of taxpayer dollars back to Texas, right? So Absolutely. this isn't this isn't a huge kind of net economic loss to the state if you're just looking in. No, in fact, most states, uh, you know, now, you know, since it's 2023, we have a lot of experience with the states that have done expansion. So most states actually it's a it's a fiscal plus for them, partly because Medicaid will take over, take some costs off your plate that you were spending pure state dollars for before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Medicaid expansion, the medical care in that program is 90 cents on every dollar is paid for by the federal government. Wow. So it's a much, much bigger match than any other part of Medicaid or CHIP have. That's just billions of dollars it we're leaving out on the table. probably $10 billion a year that Texas has left on the table mm. every year since 2014. Doesn't sound like fiscal conservatism to me. Well, it really isn't, and it's very much been a victim of politics where, um, you know, something that seems as practical as health care has really gotten sort of trapped in the hyperpartisanship. In hyperpartisanship, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is an issue that had, you know, last session at least, it had broad bipartisan support, right? I mean, we, Republicans and Democrats. Fascinatingly, last legislative session here mm-hmm. in Texas in 2021, we had enough people who were ready to vote for a sort of conservative take mm-hmm. on Medicaid expansion for Texas. And, uh, but there was a, a strong pushback from our elected leadership you know, folks like the governor and lieutenant governor uh, that that forced them back into the corner and we didn't uh, get to have that vote. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, big issue right now are the, has been the closure of rural hospitals in Texas. I think over, the, certainly during the pandemic, we had, what, I want to say 20 rural oh, hospitals, more, more than that. I That sounds high to me, but sounds the bottom high. line is, you know, over the last... Uh, you know, five to eight years, mm-hmm. we've had rural hospital closures across the country have been mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. And Texas, you know, we always lead the country in that we've got a lot more rural mm-hmm. <laughs> than anybody else does, except maybe Alaska, and mm-hmm. they just don't have that many people. So, right. yeah, so we have, you know, when you're tra- we have 254 counties and people routinely traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles between cities, 
you know, it's absolutely critical that you have hospitals across the state. I mean, they don't all have to to look like the giant hospitals in Houston or Dallas, mm -hmm. but but you need to have hospitals, and it's been a huge loss for those communities. How would Medicaid expansion help keep rural hospitals afloat? <clears throat> well, when every third adult who walks through your door is uninsured, and that you know that's what we're talking about with uninsured adults in Texas, it's it's a big deal. It has a big impact on your bottom line. I mean, children. Obviously, there's some children with you know very high medical needs, but for the majority of cases kids are extraordinarily healthy and and we have lots of coverage for our kids but it's hard to run a viable medical practice or a clinic even in a rural community uh, when you have really high levels of uninsured and the same would go for the hospitals as well uh, you know the adults are where those expensive uh, procedures are other than the folks over 65 who will have Medicare so it's been a very big deal um, and it's something that our our rural hospitals have you know, uh, have made clear that it could make a big, big difference in their bottom line. It's just staggering that this is such a sweetheart deal. It would benefit um, over a million Texans, so many households. It would bring billions of federal taxpayer dollars back to our state, um, would help support those rural hospitals. And um, that just is such an important, important part of the fabric of our state. And yet, here we are uh, with leadership preventing us from making this this very simple move to have this incredible impact. Uh, I know we're mad about it, uh, Texans are mad about it, and last week um, hundreds of Texans came together at the Capitol and held a people's hearing, and Carla, you were helping um, lead that up at least from the Every Texan side. Could you tell us more about um, the convening last week um, what were the goals? What did you witness? Tell us about it. Yeah, definitely. So um, every Texan is part of a statewide campaign trying to expand health justice in Texas. Um, sick of it, Texas. And we're definitely sick of it, Texas. <laughs> um, so We are sick of it. <laughs> um, as Ann mentioned, you know, in 2021, we didn't get a hearing on Medicaid expansion. So the last time uh, Texas did hold a hearing was 2019. It's 2023 now, <laughs> so people haven't been heard for by the legislatures for a long time. And the people's hearing was an opportunity for people to hold their own hearing and make sure that their voices are heard. Yeah, we've been talking about the fact that there's this broad bipartisan support, but this is also something that is widely supported by Texans. I mean, there have been surveys and polls that show that a vast majority of Texans would support this move, again, regardless of uh, politics and geography and race and income and things like that. Right? Absolutely, yeah. definitely. The majority of Texans do support Medicaid expansion. And um, when it comes to people's health care and people needing health care access and services, they're not thinking about politicians. Um, politicians and um, the way that um, as Ann mentioned, like the way that the Obamacare stuff played out, uh, it politicized Medicaid mm. expansion. But people themselves uh, don't think about politics inherently whenever they're thinking about health care or access to Yeah, we to just healthcare. need to go to the doctor. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so with the people's hearing, uh, it was an opportunity to make sure that uh, Texans across the state mm. had their voices heard. So we had a really powerful um, 
opportunity uh, to have that hearing and we had um, community members from across the state um, that were part of our committee and were uh, listening to these voices and we had really good representation from across the state uh, including El Paso and the Panhandle um, and then we had storytellers come and testify and give their stories. Um, one of the things that was unique about this hearing, it being a people's hearing, is we had posters um, that we encouraged people to hold up whenever something resonated with them. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a really um, visually powerful thing to see whenever um, somebody is giving their testimony to feel um, further support from their communities and um, make sure that, that they know that they are being heard and their stories matter. And knowing that they're not alone and that their experiences are, are marrying those of, of millions of other Texans across the state. Exactly right, yeah. And I think um, a lot of people sometimes um, think that their situation um, is unique and there can't be a remedy, but there are very reasonable remedies like Anne was talking about with that. Um, the way that we could pull down those federal funds to just give people access to health services. So the images from that hearing were just incredibly powerful. Uh, standing room only, people standing in the hallways, people very eager to tell their stories and be heard even though state leadership is refusing them. Uh, formal hearing um, so far during session. What kind of stories did you hear uh, during the hearing? Yeah, you know, we had a really big variety of stories. Uh, we um, we heard from a hairdresser in the Dallas area, and I'll also say that um, the the hearing was recorded on Facebook Live, okay. so it is available on the Sick of It Texas um, Facebook page. Uh, so we heard from a hairdresser in Dallas that newly found herself uninsured, um, uh, and it, she was previously getting tax credits for mm. the marketplace and was able to have pretty affordable health coverage for herself. Um, whenever she um, was above the poverty line, but she actually experienced a change in her household size that brought her down below the federal poverty line because uh, she's taking care of some family members. Mm. So she's newly found herself no longer eligible for mm. healthcare.gov, the, the marketplace. So that's an example of falling um, into that gap that Anne was talking about earlier. Exactly, yeah, and in this, in this example, um, she's a small business owner and um, is working uh, and um, is, yes, so she's newly finding herself uninsured um, and has some pretty costly medical expenses on a month-to-month -month basis and has really been struggling um, to reconcile that. She actually went viral on TikTok no, recently really? um, and um, was sharing her experience, um, finding herself newly in the Medicaid coverage gap and um, shared that, you know, she was both feeling solidarity with mm. other people that, that are in similar circumstances, but also shocked that there are so many Texans um, that find themselves in mm. this situation. Another really powerful powerful story that we heard was from one of our interns at Every Texan, um, who is a young mom and she's a student at Texas Southern University and has really big aspirations of being a lawyer one day. Um, and she's been working with our organization uh, for several months now. Um, and her son has pretty high medical needs mm -hmm. and himself is on Medicaid. Um, and 
though she struggled to kind of navigate some individual uh, health services, um, is very grateful that her son is currently on Medicaid. But though her son is on Medicaid, um, and she was on Medicaid previously as a pregnant mom, she came off that program in 2019 mm. um, because we're not giving Medicaid to uh, to working adults. And so she's been insured since 2019. She's a student, she is an intern, she is working 15 hours a week, but also has to focus on being a mom and going to school. And um, you know, she shared very powerful testimony about how she's been made aware of some of her own medical needs through um, her son needing some genetic testing. Mm but she can't actually address those medical needs and get the necessary scans that she needs to, to get care that's adequate because it's very costly mm. and she herself doesn't have health coverage right now. Yeah, here, here at Every Texan, we always focus, we focus a lot on research and data. We're policy wonks. Um, this is a complex issue and we use numbers. We frequently use numbers to tell our stories. And it's so incredibly powerful um, when these narratives are front and center, um, sort of um, just sort of epitomizing the numbers that we report on on, on, a, on a regular basis. Um, so during the pandemic, there were a number of um, restrictions that to certain benefits that were um, loosened or made more relaxed to help people during the pandemic, and now. As an organization, we're working on what we call the unwinding um, of those. Um, I'm gonna mess up my language here, but loose, the loosening of the restrictions, right? Like they're putting the restrictions back in. Um, how does this? How does that complicate um, this issue, if at all? Yeah. So uh, throughout the pandemic, there's been um, some help for a variety of things, including food and Medicaid. So. Um, there were some restrictions uh, to make sure that during a worldwide pandemic, people would have access to health services. And um, most people have been kept on Medicaid since March of 2020. They haven't um, been getting kicked off. Um, and we, we sometimes see some churn of people that um, are still eligible, but just don't necessarily complete all the administrative paperwork sure. to stay on the rolls. Um, but because Medicaid enrollment uh, has been essentially frozen, um, mm. or sorry, people haven't been getting kicked off, uh, our Medicaid enrollment has only grown mm. in the last three years at this point of uh, the pandemic. Um, and Texas has gotten a lot of money mm. to make sure that these people um, stay enrolled. Um, but what's going to start happening here soon is, um, like you kind of mentioned, some of those restrictions are coming back into place. So mm -hmm. that pandemic extra help is going away. Mm. And the state is going to have to recheck eligibility for everybody enrolled. We know that some people may no longer be eligible for Medicaid and can hopefully transition to another form of coverage like healthcare.gov. Um, but some people are going to just hit administrative barriers in mm. the enrollment process. It's been three years, people move, the state right. might not know where to find them. Um, but what we're also concerned about is um, moms that maybe have stayed enrolled in Medicaid or throughout the last three years and children that may be, have aged out of the program mm. may 
find themselves in the coverage gap if they're wow. not meeting yeah. those minimum income requirements. Wow, so we're, we're coming up to a cliff of sorts. Exactly, yeah. and we're really worried about how much higher these uninsured numbers are going to get. Because as you mentioned, you know, Texas does have the highest uninsured rate and percent number of people, um, and that number is going to inevitably grow. So are, are there alternatives to Medicaid expansion? And we're hearing a lot about the state health insurance exchange during session this year. And I've heard people talk about that or frame that as some type of alternative to Medicaid expansion. What do you think about that? Well, it, it's I'm smiling because there's always been a lot of, you know, going all the way back to when this law passed, there's been confusion about that. So. Basically, you know, one of the things the Affordable Care Act included was uh, we're going to have a big national health insurance marketplace or exchange. You'll hear marketplace and exchange used interchangeably, same thing. Okay. And so they, they were like, we're going to have a big national exchange. But if you want to do your own exchange for your state or your own marketplace, you can do that. And here's a list of standards. You can't go below this. You have to do X, Y, and Z in order to do that. And um, Basically, so far, uh, but and that marketplace is only for people who don't qualify for Medicaid. So there's always been a little bit of confusion that somehow if you did a state marketplace, you could somehow roll in your Medicaid population, but that's actually not allowed. Uh, you know, basically by definition, you can't get a subsidy in the health insurance marketplace or exchange if you qualify for Medicaid. I can't explain to you why people are still confused about that, but they are. And so if Texas were to j drop out of our federal marketplace, healthcare.gov, which has been a fabulous success, and currently we've, we've set records enrolling people in Texas, and right now 2.4 million Texans are enrolled in that marketplace, which is a, a big deal. Anyway, it will, it, it's a, you know, the marketplace is great. Uh, we've had fabulous luck with our federal marketplace in mm -hmm. Texas. Um, so there's two things to keep in mind. One is, it's great, but it doesn't do anything for our people who are in the coverage gap. So, so when we're talking about that 1.4 million early, earlier who yeah. would get coverage, this the marketplace, most, the, the exchange marketplace, whatever you want to call it, doesn't yeah. do anything for those It folks. doesn't do any for the, the, one of the things that's confusing about Medicaid expansion, and this is wonky and I apologize to everyone, but it, you know, Medicaid expansion is to 138% of poverty. That's what the federal law says. Uh -huh. But if you're under right at the poverty line, those are the people who can't get a subsidy. So there's, you know, a different number for the people below poverty and the full Medicaid expansion group. I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. write it that way. But <laughs> anyway, so it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a million uh, or a little less than that who are below the poverty line and then some several hundred thousand or between poverty and, and the 138% of poverty line. Uh, the point is those are all adults who are uninsured right now, mm -hmm. and, and we, we need to have an option for them. So, you know, if Texas, we, we at this point um, are very concerned about the proposal to try to have a state-based marketplace because Confusion. our state doesn't have any, well, and our state doesn't have any practice right. at doing that. You right. know, it's. Uh, probably everybody remembers that the very first year we opened healthcare.gov, there were terrible problems with the, the systems and the software and everything. And, you know, now 10 years have passed and it's working great, but uh, it's not something that's easy to do. And it's, 
you know, there are all kinds of systems involved. Uh, there's all kinds of customer service involved. We don't have, we have never even, we've never even like a, uh, given our Medicaid agency or our insurance agency uh, the directive to like help consumers with the marketplace. We, we don't have the infrastructure. We have, we nothing have is in place for it and there's nothing about our current politics and leadership that would suggest that the intention <laughs> in going to a state marketplace is to help the uninsured right. or to help people keep insurance and have the cheapest, best quality insurance. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is so funny because we've got an actual problem that exists, this 1.4 million Texans who would get access if we opted in and expanded Medicaid, and we can solve that problem, but don't. Instead, we're creating a problem, we're moving in this direction of creating a problem that doesn't exist by trying to replace the federal exchange with the state exchange. And I think you have you have just pointed out something really important there is that, you know, perhaps <laughs> whether the intention is for that to be a distraction or a smokescreen, mm. it may be working that way. And it's gonna be part of our job to point that out. This is not gonna help the low income. And I'll just say like, when we're talking about people, they don't necessarily care where it's coming from. They mm. need access to health care right. and services. And like you said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. People know healthcare.gov. They are familiar with their communities and their mm -hmm. uh, enrollment assisters and where they can go for help. Mm. And that's a system that is working today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so timing, timing suggests an ulterior motive. Um, hey, if folks want to engage with Sick of It Texas, if people are feeling um, angry and inspired after hearing you two today and they want to engage with this coalition, where can they go? Yeah, so Sick of It Texas does have a website. It's sickofittx.org. I think you should spell that. <laughs> like S -I You're asking me to spell. <laughs> all right, all right. I was told there would be no spelling. So it's Sick of It TX, right? Yeah, so S-I-C-K-O-V-I-T-T-X dot O-R-G. Let's, let's try it again. It says S-I-C-K-O-F-I-T-T-X dot org dot O-R-G. And we'll put that in the description of this podcast okay. too. And I'm glad we're in a room with people that can say that. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have more conversations about this. Um, thanks, thank you too for um, spending some time today and for all of your work. Hey, if you like this episode, if you found it helpful, be sure to share this episode with a friend and follow the podcast. Thanks for listening today and we'll catch you next time. And that wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks to our guests. And as always, check out everytexan.org for more information about our work and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks to our guests. And as always, check out everytexan.org for more information about our work and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.